Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. As we mentioned before, this at the opening of the service, we're going to end our fast, a seven-day fast that we've been doing as a church with communion at the end of the service. But I believe that God has given me a word for us today, and I pray that you're here. And uh, not just here, but when I say here, I mean present. Uh, it's one thing to be in a room. It's another thing to be engaged and to be leaning in. And this morning, maybe worship, maybe you were wandering a little bit. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you were. But if you can, when we, when we come around this time, maybe you, you missed out on that part. I'm, I'm just asking if we could lean into the word today. Not into a person or a man, but into the word of God. And see what he wants to say. And uh, we're going to uh, continue a, a mini-series, if you will, that we started last week called Jesus Over Everything. And today, the title or the subtitle under Jesus Over Everything is Pressing On. Pressing On. That some of us, God has to input or download into us um, a spirit that will never give up, but that learns to press on through the pain and through the trial and through the difficulty that he puts in us this never giving up spirit. And I believe that if you're a believer, you have access to everything that God has, including this kind of tenacity of faith to continue. And when I was 17 years old, I had a goal. Um, If you ask me if I was a, a young person driven with vision, I would say no. I'm a very simple guy, even to this day, very simple, and I just, I, I love God, I follow his leading, and for me, it's a simple, life is that simple for me. Um, and when I was 17, I didn't really have, like, huge ambitions and vision for my future. I was like, I love playing soccer, and at 17 years old, I thought this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And most 17-year-olds today are like, you know, applying to 14 colleges and universities and trying to outline their future plan. And that wasn't me, unfortunately. I just couldn't see that far. I just knew that I loved soccer. And this one coach kept asking me to come and try out for this team. They were older than I was, but they kept saying, the coach kept saying to me, I want you to come, try out. I think you'd be a great fit and, and you'll be on this team. So, um... The game, this particular game that I was invited to accompany the team on was on a Sunday. And uh, normally I was serving in church on the drums growing up. And so I was actually scheduled to play drums and I had to figure out what to do to find a replacement. And my father had great advice. He said, you do what you want. I'm not telling you to go and I'm not telling you to stay. But he said, it's your decision. You're old enough. And so I said, I'm going to go. Because I loved God, but my goal was to play soccer. And I thought, this is the, the big break. This is the opportunity I have. It was an away game. I grew up in Montreal. So that's the context of this story. And the away game was in Quebec City, a two-hour drive. So we had to get on the bus. I was there 7 a.m., did the whole thing, was gone all day. The ball during warm-up, you know, we're, we're passing the ball around. The ball felt so good on my foot. The touch was just there. And in my mind, I was like, this is it. This is the opportunity I have. 
to just show the coach that he's making the right call because this is what I was made for. And I felt like I'd finally arrived. The stars are aligning and this is the day that everything is going to go well. So I, I was new to the team, so I obviously wasn't a starter. But follow me for a second. It's going to tie into scripture as we get there. And I wasn't a starter. It was the second half, and we were losing 2-0. Again, I was like, put me in. I'm ready to go. The whole game, the coach was complaining about the left fullback player, left defense. That was my position. So I was like, thank you, Lord. You're even aligning this, that he's been yelling and complaining about him, and I'm ready to go. There were five minutes left in the game, and I was like starting to wonder now. <laughs> Uh, what's going on? Uh, am I even going to get to play? And sure enough, time ran down. We lost 2-0. I never got to play. And I learned a hard lesson that day. And I thought, this is the big break. Um, I'm sure I'm going to get to do all of this stuff. But I was gravely disappointed. And I thought, this was my one goal, and now it's crushed. But what do we do in life? We have to learn to press on. Sometimes in the Christian walk, we can get like that, like I was with soccer. And what do I mean? We feel like we've arrived. We've attained some kind of elite status in the kingdom. Some of us, uh, maybe we don't act like it, but we think like it, like I'm untouchable now because of my status and I've been in church so long. But this is not what we're going to see in scripture. And so if you have your Bible Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. And if you're able to, would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read it? Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. And, and basically Paul was writing to the church in Philippi. But we're going to see what, what kind of things he was having to, to say to them about them, but also about his life. And so uh, it's on the screen in the New Living Translation as well. Here's what it says. In verse 12 of Philippians 3, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But check what he says. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Everyone say one thing. And listen to what he says. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Would you join me as we pray? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that Jesus, when our priority is right, you are number one. And we said last week, we don't have to worry then, because you said that all of these other things will be taken care of. And Father, today, if any one of us feels the pressure of life, and maybe the pressure to try to be perfect, Father, we just release everyone in this room from that pressure. But Lord, we just set our sights on the goal, the thing that really matters, which is you. Father, I pray you would open up every heart in this room, including mine, to your word, as I have already submitted to it, now I have to preach it, anoint my mind, my lips, and my heart, in the name of Jesus I pray, amen. You may be seated this morning, as we dig into this text, Philippians chapter 3, and 
as we read it in, in verse 12, it seems that in Philippi, there must have been, if he's writing it, there must have been those who thought that they have, had reached the goal of Christian perfection, or like they have arrived, or they, they made it. And sometimes, trying to live a perfect Christian life can be so difficult that basically it leaves you drained and discouraged. Why? Because you fall short. Because we're not perfect. By the way, if you're new to Weston, uh, I have an announcement to make. Uh, welcome to Weston. We're not a perfect church. And, and if you do ever find one, please email me because I'll, I'll, I'd love to attend it. But the reality is on this side of, of eternity, while we're here on this earth, there's no perfect church. Why? Because the church is not a building, it's people. And all of us are imperfect. We are not perfect. We make mistakes. We sin. We fall short. But I'm so grateful for the grace and mercy of God in my life. Uh, I heard a preacher say, and I hope I could remember it right. He's like, if you really knew me and the things that I struggle with, you probably wouldn't pick me as your pastor. But if we turn the table, if I really knew what you did or the sin you struggle with, I probably wouldn't want to be your pastor. And, and I heard a pastor say that. I thought, that's interesting. Uh, but the reality is we are all imperfect. We all struggle. And, and Paul was telling them in Philippi, listen, uh, the goal of perfection is not what you think. It's not what you are making it out to be that you've arrived at some place in your walk with God. Yes, there's a journey. And yes, we go from strength to strength, from glory to glory. And we, we should not be, but we're going to get to what Paul was actually referring to. But do you ever feel like you have to play the part? Do you ever feel like you have to pretend that life is perfect? Let me just allow you into our story this morning. What a great message on pressing on and I'll spare you some of the details because it could gross some of you out but last night Abby wasn't feeling well and uh, I, I know when she gets up at 10 p.m. and then 11 p.m. sometimes it's just to use the bathroom so I did that but then she was still uh, all night long so I said okay just go sleep on the floor in our room and I put the blankets and a pillow and all of that and uh she kept waking up throughout the night. Somehow Josiah ended up on the floor with his blanket as well. And I'm like, what is going on? Right? And then at 4 a.m., Abby comes to the bed. And she, you know, I, Priscilla thought she wanted to sleep. So she moved over and said, fine, at this point, just get in the bed. And she didn't move. Instead, she opened her mouth. And you could imagine everything that came out. It wasn't words. It was, <laughs> use your imagination. And it, it did not stop from there into the, the sink in the bathroom and then to the toilet. Then we had to put her in the shower, take all of our bed sheets off. And we're just like, all right. And I thought, Lord, what a great way to put into practice the message today. And, and in all honesty, listen, it's, it's, a, it's a big responsibility to preach. Don't get me wrong or don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. This is a high honor and privilege to do this. It takes a lot of diligence and responsibility before the Lord and humility. But on the other side, it's, it's almost easy to preach. What's harder is to live it out. It's easy to speak and to say things, but it's harder to walk it out in your life. And so God just said, Priscilla, Jonathan, you're going to walk this out before you preach this this morning. But we had to press on and we had to press through. 
and it did not look perfect. I can guarantee you that. Uh, you know, I think we left the laundry still in the washing machine, and we'll have to finish it later. But the reality is we're here. We're here, and I'm, you know, thank God I wasn't wearing these clothes or else I'd have vomit on them. And that's just life sometimes. But you have to continue to press on. And, and listen, if, you know, I want to share a quick testimony. It's not in my notes, but the Holy Spirit just reminded me. Someone came to our church. They attend our church, and they said, you know what? This is the first church that I've walked into where I feel like I'm not being judged, and I feel like I could belong. And, and they said, Pastor, thank you. And every time they remind me of this, they cry. And I was like, wow, that's, that says a lot because this is what church should be. You don't have to, yes, you can come dressed in your Sunday best, if you will. But, but the reality is the invitation from God is come as you are. Look, like if this was a place, hear me, if this was a place for perfect people, it would be empty. So... Hey, welcome today. Welcome to church, and I'm glad you're here because we're all in this together. We're all living life and learning as we go, and this is a part of the journey. And I'm so grateful that we don't have to do it alone, but we have Jesus with us. And so Paul was just saying, listen, uh, guys, this is not what, what we're looking for in the Christian life. It's not about this perfection. Why? Because it can leave us feeling discouraged and drained, actually, if that's our only goal is to make everything look good, right? You could look good, you could dress well, but at the same time be a mess here. And you've totally missed Jesus in the process. And so we may feel so far from perfect that we think we can never please God with our lives. Hear me. It's not about that kind of perfection. But let's continue with the story. In verse 13, Paul recognized the call for Christians to aspire to the highest standards. So it's, we're not saying that there are no standards or there are low standards. Paul, even though he was saying this, he's saying, no, the, we have to aspire to a high standard. And when you look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, listen to what Jesus was saying. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Does it mean we are going to achieve it here on this earth? Probably not. But what he was saying is, here's the bar. And this is what you need to strive for with your living and with your relationships, with your family, with the church. And so Paul recognized, no, we do aspire for the high standards. But listen to this. Yet he himself never claimed to have reached that perfection. So he's saying, no, the bar is high, but he didn't say, but I've attained it. If anyone could have, it could have been Paul. And your homework for today, go home, start at the beginning of Philippians 3, and you're going to hit this section just before our text where Paul lists all of his accolades, if you will, his certificates, they're all there, posted on the wall in his office. But the reality is, he said, all of this is meaningless. What really is worth it is knowing Christ. And that's the true goal of life and living is to know Christ. Christ is the goal. So he never claimed to have reached that perfection. So what, what then did the word perf perfection mean when Paul said it? Let me tell you. I'm glad you asked. Paul used the word perfection 
to convey the idea of being, hear it, mature and complete. Mature and complete and not flawless in every detail. Because if you examine my life, and you should, I'm your pastor, but you, again, we are to walk circumspectly, but I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, but guess what? You make mistakes too. But the reality is, we're not looking for that flawless perfection. No, it's about maturity and being complete in Christ. And, and if you've been in church a long time, you guess what? You could still be immature in your faith. Just because you have 30 years under your belt sitting in a church does not mean you are a mature Christian. There's fruit that comes from a mature tree. Guess what? There's fruit that comes from a mature Christian as well. And so Paul was really saying this. He never claimed to be perfect. But he was just saying, listen, I'm, I'm okay. I'm complete. I'm, I'm mature now. And now he was calling them. If you continue reading after our text, then he gets into the whole maturity talk with the, the church in Philippi. But this is what he says. I'm not perfect, but we should aspire to be. This is the standard. But what does he say we do in verse 13? But I focus on this one thing. And I love it. He says, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. So I focus on this one thing. Listen, some of us, we have a very broad focus. And it's not necessarily bad, but it's not always good. Because it's a new year, 2020. How many of you have some kind of goal? Let me see your hand that you've established for this year. Probably a lot of us, if not all of us, right? There are things that we have set out to do for 2020. Maybe you wrote them down and all of that. Um, and that's great, you have to do those things and able to see those goals fulfilled. But the reality is, for this moment, right here as we're gathered, just put those on hold for a second. This, Paul was saying this one thing. So you can have those goals, and I'm asking you to just like kind of keep them. If you wrote them down, you'll find them. But what is this one thing that Paul speaks about? What is this one thing for you and for me? It really calls us to narrow focus. It's, it's a narrow focus in the kingdom. There's a narrow focus when it comes to my life as a Christian believer. There's a narrow focus. There are, sure, I want to dream big dreams for God. I want to accomplish great things. I want to climb many mountains for Him. And guess what? I can do many things through Christ who gives me strength. That's all true. But I have to have my one thing in order first. Remember, the series is called Jesus Over What? Everything. So what is the narrow focus? It means there's not many goals. There's one goal in my life. It's to know Christ. And so he says, I focus on this one thing. Forgetting what is behind. In other words, don't live in the past. Don't live in the past. There could be regret. There could be shame from the past or in the past. There could be even success in the past. But he was saying, forget the past. But Pastor Miguel, I agree with him. We honor the past as well. You know, in this church, yes, we honor what God has done. Today we're standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. We're not saying discard, but in, in the sense of those things that creep up and the devil uses and reminds us of. 
um, we have to be able to just push those aside so that why? We can look ahead. Listen, what did it mean for Paul, as the writer of this, to forget the past? Listen, a few things. Paul had to let go of the fact that he was actually persecuting Christians. Think of it, like killing them, going to their homes and pulling them out of their homes to bring them to be stoned and killed. Do you think he had memory and visuals in his head? Probably, unless Jesus miraculously wiped away. But he was even reminding himself, listen, forgetting the past, which means I remember it, but I have to forget the past, those things. Not only that, but he was also the one holding the coat of all, the coats of all of those who were stoning Stephen, the first martyr in the Bible. And he's saying, I have to forget all of those things. I have to forget the past. And what do I have to do? I have to, what? We said, look forward to what lies ahead. You know, I wish I remembered, but we had a crazy morning, night morning. I wanted to bring a little mirror. And just symbolic of like a rear view mirror. It's maybe an illustration you've understood for a long time. But maybe you've never heard it. But for those of you who drive, you will get this. Or you've sat in a vehicle. Um, there's a rear view mirror. And the intent is not for you to stare in the rear view mirror as you navigate the icy roads of the GTA. Right? The intent is for you to look ahead. But you look and you glance at your mirrors just to have an awareness of what's around you. Not always necessarily behind you, unless the guy is really riding your tail, but it's to have an awareness. If you need to change lane, you have to signal it, you have to check, and then you maybe check twice, or wait, let me back that up. Okay, back to driving school, which I never took, by the way. I just read the book and I passed. But you're supposed to look, put the signal, Look again and then do it. Young people, am I, is that right? Yes? Okay, good. <laughs> and the reality is, the purpose of that is not to stop and to turn around and engage with your past or what's behind you. The intent of the mirror is to help you keep going forward, yes? Amen. And so, you might have a mirror that you use to see your past. You learn from your mistakes, you honor the past, all of these things. But the thing is, the mirror in the vehicle is to keep me moving forward safely, to do it effectively. If, I, if God's going to say, go right, well, guess what? I'm able to move right. The mirror just serves for a purpose of safety, ensuring that whatever move you need to make, you can do it safely, but you're still moving in the general direction, which is ahead. And Paul was saying this, forget the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. So here's the reality for everyone in the room today. There is tension in this thing, in this one thing, because we live in between what we have been and what we hope to become. And, and this is the tension. This is who I have been, but this is what I hope to become. And this is the tension where we find ourselves looking back and looking ahead. And here we are in this tension spot. And that's why I believe Paul had to say next, but I press on. But I press on. The tension, is it real? Yes. You can't ignore it. But here's what you have to do. You have to continue to press on. 
you press on towards the prize. You keep pressing on towards the goal. And he's saying, I must learn to press on. In verse 14, that word press on in the Greek, we have it on the screen, is dioko. In the Greek is dioko. And this word that he uses means literally to pursue. To pursue. Now, what's interesting is his use of this word here because it's the exact same word by which he described his persecuting of the early church. To pursue. He was pursuing Christians, pulling them out of their homes, and they were killing them. And so almost, I don't know, I, I, he's, he's a brilliant man, no doubt, and a schooled, educated man. But could you just imagine if God used your past? And he said, what you used for evil, I'm going to turn for good. What you were doing as evil, I'm going to use as good now. And you could turn, you know, with children, you see a, a rowdy child or a kid just full of energy and you wonder, like, what's going on? And maybe they even get into trouble. Listen, I think they have the right thing, but you just got to make sure as a parent, you point it in the right direction. And you make sure that it's used for good, not for evil or not, not for bad. And, and the reality is God, with each one of us, he knows us inside out. And God can take the past. And what reminded Paul once of persecution, now he's saying, I press on. I press on. I press on. I pursue. I'm going to eagerly seek after this one thing. I used to use it and this passion to eagerly seek after those Christians that I was killing. But I was, I'm saved today. I had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. My life was radically changed. And what I was doing for evil, now God is using me for good. And he said, that thing which the Lord possessed of uh, me, I'm going to now use for him. And so Paul now is, is saying, this is it, guys. This is where it really matters. You have to press on. And so to press on, I said it, means to pursue, to seek after eagerly. So here's the thing. According to scripture, for all of us in the room, both individually and collectively as a church, our greatest goal for 2020 has to be Jesus. Our greatest goal individually for everyone in the room and collectively as a church, it has to be Jesus. This one thing. Jesus over everything. Jesus over everything. You see, the goal for us should be the exact same as it was for Paul. And for Paul, I just will give you, if you like notes, and, and I encourage you to take notes. Um, I, I would say this. For Paul, it broke down into three parts. To know Christ. To be like Christ. And then to be all that Christ intended for us. I'm going to say it again, to know Christ, to be like Christ, and then to be all that Christ intended for us. What does that mean? God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. But, Lord, I have to yield my life to you. Lord, you have to be the goal. I have goals for 2020, but you, you have to be the main goal for everything else to make sense in my life. You have to be the main goal. 
And we shouldn't let anything or anyone take our eyes off of this goal of Christ. And back to sports for a second and my opening analogy. Um, I played soccer, but maybe you played a different contact sport like hockey. I don't know if basketball, there's no contact really in there, but it could get physical, but especially football, right? Where you're tackling people left and right. Um, the reality is, hear me today, if you're carrying something valuable, you're going to get hit. If you're carrying something valuable, you're going to get hit. But guess what? I watched a bit of hockey last night. And the guy gets body checked into the boards and it looks horrible. So, so, like the sound it makes. But what does he do? He gets up and he keeps going. Why? Because there's one goal. And it's at the opposite side of the rink. Football. The guys get tackled. The quarterback gets sacked. Guess what? He gets up again. Why? Because he sees the poles and he sees the goal at the end of the field. How many yards left? Let's go. You keep getting up. In soccer, I was a left fullback. So I know full well what it means when the striker's coming at you and it looks like he's got fire in his eyes. And it's not because your hair looked good. It's because there's a goal behind you. And he's running left, right. My job was, if he gets by me, I got to do a clean slide tackle and make sure I could get the ball. Sometimes I missed the ball and I got the player. But guess what? He got up. Why? Because the goal was the goal. And, and that's what they were running for. And that's what we were playing for. I'm going to say it again. If you're carrying something valuable... You're going to get hit. But guess what? If you're a believer, you have the light of the world. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that God, not man, not me, not you, God chose to put his powerful light in these fragile, weak vessels, earthen vessels that we leak, we break, we bleed, we feel the pain. But guess what? I press on. I press on. I press on. And so listen, you have to learn. When I was playing soccer, I remember I got a Charlie horse. Someone need me right here. And it hurts so bad, I didn't even think I could finish or get up after. But it was a playoff game. And I, I know what the goal is. We want to win. We have to put the ball in the net. And I got up, and I even though I limped the rest, when the ball came close to my quarters, I ran. And I gave it all. We learned to play through the pain. So in life, why do we want to quit when we feel pain? Learn today a lesson from Paul where he says, I press on. I press on. Paul, yeah, he had a past, but even serving God, he had a past. He had a story. He said, I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been left for dead. On and on and on. He has a resume. But the reality is, he's saying, but I press on. And I press on to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race, and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling. He didn't say me. He said us. He's calling us. And I'm so thankful that Jesus doesn't ask me to do something that he himself never did first. I'm going to ask if the worship team could come back up. Uh, but I really want to narrow this down today. To Jesus because he's the goal for us he's the goal 
He's the reason why we're here. Amen? No one said amen the first time I said it until I asked for an amen. He's the reason why we're here. Don't come for a pastor. Don't come just to connect. There, there are other opportunities and we have other means by which we can do that. But the reality is we come for Jesus. We come to hear from heaven. We come to receive, to, to receive a download in our spirit and receive the tools we need to then turn around and be the church when we walk out of this place. And so listen, let's talk about Jesus even as we prepare for communion in a few moments. Jesus, while he was on earth, ran the race for you and for me in such a way that he could finish. He ran it. He did it because he had you and me in mind. And he ran this race. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this. If we could just have the music lowered just a little bit for now. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run, hear it, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Remember, you get knocked down, you get up again. Why? Because your eyes are fixed on the goal, on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Hear me for a moment. We're called to run with endurance. I don't know if you've seen people who are running. You know, endurance means for the distance. That's really what it means. Some people, they start off with the sprint and all they last is 100 meters because there's, no, there's nothing there. There's no maturity as a runner. But we're here today as believers. Some are more mature than others. Maybe there are new Christians. And, and we would say you're a baby Christian. It doesn't mean you're young in age. It just means young in the faith. And yet we, have, we all have a lot to learn. But, but listen to this. We are called to run with endurance. What does that mean? I have to run in such a way that I'm going to last. That I'm going to make it. I see the goal, but can I reach the goal? Can I make it? Right? I have to run with endurance so that I could last. It causes me to finish the race. So how do we do it? He gave us the answer in Hebrews. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion, who initiates and perfects our faith. You know, if I take my eyes off of the prize, of the goal, Jesus, and I'm trying to run the race, but I see there's this obstacle in front of me, I take my eyes off and I focus on the obstacle, well, guess what? I've stopped the forward momentum because I had to stop and kind of deal with this and wonder. But when, I, when this is my goal, it doesn't matter what's going to come and hit me or might knock me down. I'm going to get up and I'm going to continue running. So my eyes are there, but I see something in my peripheral vision. So I just, I had to look so I don't fall down the steps. But my eyes are here, but I can still see this here. 
And so as I trust Jesus, he leads me. And as I trust Jesus, I say, here's the bench. So I got to readjust. I got to shift the lane. But again, I'm just looking, but there's the momentum is this way. And, and that's how we run the race. We do it with endurance, but our eyes have to be fixed on the goal, which is Jesus. Look at what it says about Jesus. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Remember I said, Jesus would never ask us to do something that he himself is not willing to do. So what did Jesus do for you and for me? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the cross. He ran the race to the very end. This was the purpose. This was the whole point. My question for you today is this. Jesus ran the race because his goal was you. Are you willing to run this race because your goal is him? That's the question I ask today. Press on and pursue him. Press on and pursue him. I'm going to invite everyone to stand in this room and without anyone moving or leaving to go to the washroom or anything like that, while there's time still, I want to give an opportunity for us to simply respond to Jesus in this room today. You're here today and maybe you've been pursuing the wrong goal or the wrong goals in life. And maybe in your life the main goal was to be promoted or to be noticed, to be liked, or even more to be loved. Maybe that's been the goal the whole time. The promise in scripture is that when you put Jesus first, Matthew 6:33, you can read it. He'll order everything else in your life. Jesus over everything. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon of the week. God wants to work in your life and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.